Hey, welcome back, Reveal, to week five of our series called Juiced Power When You Need It. Hey, if you are a guest with us, we are glad that you are joining us in the cloud. Do me a huge favor. Check out our website, revealvineyard.com, and you will find out a lot more about who we are, what we all are about Read the hills that we die on. It'll give you a taste of who we are. If you don't know who I am, my name is Marty. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Glad that you're with us. Uh, As I said, we've been in week five of our series called Juiced Power When You Need It. And we've been using our cell phones as a metaphor uh, for life. Regardless of what kind of phone you have, regardless of its features or its processing power, if your phone's battery is dead, if it's out of juice, Your phone is nothing more than a paperweight. Your phone needs juice in order to be what it was created to be and to do what it's been created to do. Well, that's very similar to us. See, regardless of who you are or who you've been created to be or what you've been created to do, regardless of your processing power, regardless of your features, if your battery is dead, if your soul is depleted, if you're out of juice, You cannot be what you've been created to be. You cannot do what you've been created to do. We've had this little phrase that we've been saying, no juice, no use. This is it, right? No juice, no use. It's true for your phone. It's true for you. It's true for me. Now, last week, we looked at four components uh, that transfer the power from the source to the device. You remember we talked about the power source, the power adapter, the cord, and the device. The power source is the originator, of course. It's the source of all power. The power adapter is simply the distributor that allows power to flow from the source. The cord is what the power travels on, and eventually it gets to the device. The device is the beneficiary of the source. The cord does not benefit from the power source. It's the device that benefits. Now, Jesus makes a bold claim where he says, I am the true power source, right? I am the source of everything is what scripture tells me. Uh, It says that Jesus is the originator of everything. And we said that the power adapter is in fact faith, that it is the adapter that allows us to connect to The source. Without faith, there is no connection to the source. It is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to come to God without faith. And so faith is the the connector into the power source. And then, of course, the cord is the flow of that power. And we said last week that the cord is really scripture, prayer, and worship. You may think that it's a single cord, but anytime you slice into a cord, you're going to find two or three cords wrapped around the sheathing that makes up one cord. And so we've said that, that it's scripture, prayer, and worship is, is important to all of this because what it means is that we can have an available power source, we can have faith to connect to that power source, but if you're not doing the cord activities, scripture, prayer, and worship, If you're not engaging in in these disciplines, then the power will not flow. Just as the power will not flow without faith, the, the, the juice is not given to us without the disciplines or the cord activities of Scripture, prayer, 
and worship. It, it, it's critical. And then the last part of this metaphor, of course, is you. You are the device. You are the beneficiary of the power. Connecting to the power source, faith, scripture, prayer, and worship. And the source delivers power to the device. You are that device. And what happens when the device, when you, when I, are fully charged? Well, Scripture tells us this in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I like it here in this other translation. It says, I have the strength to face all conditions, all conditions, by the power that Christ gives me. What, what, is, what is the result of being a fully charged follower of Christ? You have the strength to face all conditions. How? Through the power that Christ gives us, the power that flows into us. So I want us to continue our focus on cord activities or discipline that allows the power to transfer. Remember, Putting the cord to use is on you. Putting the cord to use is on me. I have to open my Bible. I have to engage in communication that we call prayer. I have to position myself for worship. When, when putting the cord to use, prayer uh, and, and, and worship and, and scripture reading, time is your ally. What I mean by that is the longer that you do it, the more time that you invest into it, the greater the results, the greater the flow coming back to us. I briefly talked last week about Elisha and King Joash when Joash was going into battle and the prophet Elisha came and said, fire an arrow out of the east window. And so Joash did that and Elisha said, that is, this is the Lord's arrow of victory. And he said, surely you will uh, have victory over your enemy. But then he says, now I want you to take the remaining arrows and I want you to strike the ground. And so Joash took the remaining arrows and he shot it out the window and he struck the ground only three times. And it says that Elijah became extremely angry and frustrated with him. And he said, why did you not endure? Why did you not trust the process? Why did you quit? Why couldn't you continue? Elijah said, if you would have persisted, you would have totally annihilated your enemy. But since you came up short, you will only have victory over your enemy three times. See, it's, it's this idea that the power of God stood ready, right? The power source was available, but you didn't have the tenacity, you didn't have the determination, you didn't position yourself, King Joash, to fully experience it. Now, I, I hope you see where I'm going. How many times have we engaged in cord activities, which is on us, prayer, scripture reading, and worship? How many times have we engaged in cord activities only to quit a few days later? How many times have we come up short and then wonder, why am I still powerless? Why am I still out of juice? See, some go as far as to say that the court activities didn't work for me. Scripture reading, that doesn't work. Prayer, I tried it, right? I, I, I tried to read the Bible. I committed myself. For four days, I read a chapter and there was no power flow. Nothing changed. I tried to pray, right? I did it every day on the way into work while the radio was playing. I, I, I tried. 
I try to position myself for worship, but I don't like to sing. How many times have we come up short in these chord activities? How many times have we started and then quit and then wonder, why is there no power flow? Why am I not juiced? Think of it this way. If you only charge your phone for five minutes a day, will you be surprised when your phone battery dies? Are you going to become upset and blame it on the cord? Are you going to say, well, what I need is I need a better cord. Say, I tried the cord, but the cord doesn't work. Of course not. The problem is, is that you didn't stay connected to the source. Your phone, your device didn't stay connected to the source long enough for the device to benefit from the power source. This is kind of what it's like often in our spiritual lives. Working the cord, that's on me. Working the cord activities is on me. The drive, the tenacity to, to connect and to stay connected, that's on me. Reading and meditating on Scripture, that's a discipline on me. Prayer and worship, that's a discipline on me. But let's not connect temporarily a few days and then disconnect and say, well, there's something wrong with the cord. Or worse, there's something wrong with the source. When in reality, the problem is, is that we stop short, right? We, we struck the ground three times, and I think God is saying, if you would have only persisted, if you would have stuck with it, you would have seen the power, you would have seen the authority, you would have seen the provision released, but you stopped at only three times. Without God, remember I said this last week, without God, you cannot, but without you, God will not. In other words, God's not going to force his power on you. He's not going to force his juice into us. We have to position ourselves for that authority, that power, that juice to flow. So let's continue to develop this chord metaphor. And I want us to talk about the second strand in that chord. I want us to talk about prayer. Let's start with 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, which says this, Rejoice! How often? Always. Pray. How often? Continually. Another translation says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Now, I've talked to people before and said, so what? So I'm just supposed to put life on hold? I'm supposed to stop all other activity. I'm supposed to just kind of get alone in my room, light a candle, whatever, and pray 24 hours a day. This isn't what Scripture is, is telling us. What Scripture is saying is that God wants you to go about your day. God wants you to do what needs to be done. He wants you to be successful at work. God actually rejoices when he sees you engaging in healthy community with family and friends. That's all part of the blessing that God has given us in this life. What Scripture is telling us is to simply keep a constant prayer dialogue open throughout your day. In other words, pray without ceasing, pray continually, is God saying, go do what you have to do, but just don't do it without me. Keep the lines of communication open. Keep talking and keep listening. Converse with me continually is what Scripture is telling us. And notice the second part of, of this passage. Rejoice always, pray without, so pray continually without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Catch this last part. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. So many times we struggle to find the will of God, which I believe we've kind of 
overcomplicated. And it all started back in the day when we said the phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I remember as a young Christian thinking, great, God has a plan. What if I mess it up? Do I need to go left or do I need to go right? And what if I go left when I should have gone right? Am am I going to mess up the plan of God? Is the wonderful plan of God going to topple because I've messed up the plan? Am I stepping out of the will of God? And I remember as a young Christian, I worried about this. Every part of my life was searching for the plan. What is the plan? And I think as Christians, maybe we need to talk less about the plan of God and we need to talk more about the purpose of God. And, and there, there's a difference. See, God allows us to live and to move and to breathe and to be and to create uh, and all of that can fit into the purpose of God. All of it can fit into to the will of God. All of it can fit into the purpose of God, which is your sanctification, my sanctification. He wants us to become more like Jesus. And so sometimes we wrestle so much with, 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 do I go left or do I go right? And what I ask people is, hey, if you go either way, is it going to put you in harm? Is, is it going to entice you to sin? Is it going to weaken your family? Is it going to weaken you spiritually? And if someone says, no, I, I don't think any of that will, will, will happen, then my advice to them is go whichever way you want. The, the, the purpose of God will be accomplished either way that you decide to go. Now, there are a few times where I think there, there's specific things, uh, but, but let's talk more about the purpose of God. And so if you're, if you're looking for the will of God, if you're looking for the purpose of God, well, Scripture kind of says, here's where you should start. Here's where I should start. Pray continually, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to know the will of God for where you are at right now, regardless of your circumstances, Scripture says, Pray continually. Open up a dialogue. Talk and listen. Open conversation. Begin to to listen and meditate on what God says. Meditation brings revelation. Uh, uh, Listen to what Smith Wigglesworth, uh, a 20th century evangelism uh, evangelist, says this. He says, I don't ever pray longer than 20 minutes, but I never go 20 minutes without praying. I, I, I love that. I love that imagery. To pray continually. See, this is God's invitation um, to be part of our lives. This is how we invite God into our circumstances, into our day. So remember this, this, these two words. Pray first. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever situation that you are faced with, Pray first. Before you go into the interview, pray, God, I am clothed with favor. I believe that whatever you have intended for me will come to pass on time and as advertised. That person that's rubbing you wrong at work, pray first. Before you respond, before you do something stupid, pray first. Maybe the prayer is, uh, uh, Jesus, I want to reflect who you are, even towards this person that's driving me crazy. If your honey gets funny, pray first. Before you say it, I'm saving you some trouble right now. I'm saving you some heartache. I'm saving you some nights on the couch. Pray first, right? God, what should I say? What should my attitude be? Before you act on that temptation, pray first. Spirit, empower me to live the life that you've called me to. Empower me to live a life of godliness. See, I think prayer is less about time and more about a lifestyle of communication and a lifestyle of 
listening. Prayer, it, it, it's when we invite God into our circumstances. See, when we come to faith, we acknowledge God um, eternally. We, when we come to faith, we say, yes, you are God. But God wants us to not only acknowledge him eternally, he wants us to acknowledge him daily, to invite him into our schedules, to invite him into our lives, invite him into our circumstances. Pray, pray. For someone said, a day without prayer is a boast against God. And I love that. It's a day without prayer saying, God, I really don't need you. I can trust in my own wisdom, my, my, my own insight, my own plan, my own agenda, and I don't really need you. And Scripture invites us to invite God into every part of our life. So let's take the time that we have left, and let's focus on a famous prayer that we find in Scripture. We've labeled it the Lord's Prayer. We're in Luke 11, and we see Jesus praying. Luke 11, verse 1, it says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. Now remember, we're, we're talking about disciples who were Jewish men who had been trained from a very young age how to pray. So they were familiar with it, but there was something about the tone and the intimacy uh, of Jesus' prayer that caught their attention, something about the, the quality of his prayer that caused them to realize that we really don't know a whole lot about prayer. And so one of them asked, Lord, would you teach us to pray like you pray? And so Jesus gives them instructions. Now, fellas, listen, listen. Don't tune out when you hear the word instructions because I know it's part of the male DNA to reject instructions, right? It's why we go it alone. Uh, a, several years ago, my 13-year-old son received his first phone and he was having a hard time setting it up and his uh, mom kept saying, read the instructions, read the instructions. And my 13-year-old son kept hollering back, I don't need the instructions. I don't need the book. And I, honestly, at that moment, it was a tear came to my eye, and I thought, my boy's become a man, right? Because that's what men do. We don't need instructions. We don't need directions. But Jesus is about to instruct us how to pray. So, fellas, stay engaged because we know how to pray. We're going to pick it up in Matthew because it goes into a little bit more depth. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says this, pray in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's dig in a little deeper and we're going to discover five points that will help us to pray. The first thing that I, I think is this, is to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. Seek the presence of God. When you come into the presence of God in prayer, come with a worshipful heart. Look how Jesus begins. He says, our Father in heaven. Now, the way that Jesus revealed God to us in prayer was to call God Father. But you know that God isn't male, right? You know that God is not like us. So let's just establish that. But, but there's this idea that Jesus 
the connection Jesus makes to us is that how we look at God or how we can respond to God, how we can approach God is like that of a loving father. And that's why a couple of times in Scripture you see the phrase Abba Father, which is a difficult phrase to interpret, but we get the idea uh, that, that it expressed affection and confidence. It was this intimate turn, Abba, not the Swedish pop band. Dancing Queen. No, let's not. Right. It's, it's, this, it's this term of intimacy that I am your son, I am your daughter, and you are my good father. So Jesus says right off the bat, when, when, when you come in prayer, let's approach God as a good father. But then he says this. Next, next, he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, the word there is, is, is hagiazo, which, which means to be holy or perfect or pure or to be completely separate from anything profane. It's this Jesus almost saying, like, look, I want you to see God as father, as good father, but I also want you to recognize he's nothing like you, and he's nothing like your father. He's perfect in all that he does. And so we can approach God as father, but understand he's holy. He, he, he's not like you. He's not like the father that you are, good or bad. He's not like your dad, good or bad. He's above all of it. It's this, it's this completely holy God, the holy Father. It's almost a pause moment. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, remember who you're talking to. I want you to approach God as a good Father, but let's remember who you're talking to. Now in 21st century America, we have more spiritual options than perhaps any other time in history. And these spiritual options have relegated God from the one true living God to one God of many. See, no longer are our religious beliefs separated by oceans or landmass. Uh, Muslims are not 7,000 miles away. Hindus and Buddhists are in our community. We work with them. We go to school with them. We have uh, them as neighbors. They are our friends, as it should be. All right, as it should be, that, that it, we should have community. Uh, but, but, but here is the challenge. Rich Nathan says it like this, because of the near proximity and available information of world religions, it has made God merely one option on the endless buffet line of religions. And it really is true that God has just become one of many. Pick whichever one you want. Pick a card, any card. They're all the same. And, and, and this is true for us today, this kind of idea that, hey, all religions are the same, all gods are the same, as long as you're, here's the word, here's the word, as long as you're sincere, right? God has been minimized. He's been stripped of his deity and of his ultimate authority, and we've, we, we've made God common and ordinary. And so right out of the gate, Jesus says, hold on, remember that God is Father, but remember who you're talking to. Because a proper perspective, this is important, a proper perspective is the foundation for the rest of this prayer. Did you get it? A proper perspective is the foundation for the rest of this prayer. So we're placing God as the authority. We're placing God as the one true living God as we approach him in prayer. All right, look at number two. We must seek 
God's priorities above our own. So not only do we approach God with a worshipful heart, but then we seek God's priorities above our own, where Jesus says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is a push against my selfish nature. As we pray for his kingdom to come, by default, we are praying for our kingdom to go. As I pray for his kingdom to break in, I'm praying, God, get my kingdom out. You, not me, is what we're praying. So I will uh, decrease so you might increase. This is what John says in John 3.30. He must become greater and I must become less. Let your kingdom come and let my kingdom go. See, this is a beautiful prayer of surrender. At the heart of this is the belief that God's ways are better than my way, that, that, that God's desires are better than my desires. And we don't say it, but often we live in such a way that we say, uh, uh, my will over your will. Or we live in such a way that we say, let your will fit into my will. God, I'm all for what your will is. I'm all for for your purpose as long as your purpose is my purpose. We've all wrestled with that before. See, I think sometimes we see God's kingdom, God's will, God's purposes as an intrusion. Have you ever felt that way before? We all have on, on, on some level. Jesus says when you pray, start off by recognizing that God is Father, good Father, remember His holiness, and then let that realization drive you to what? To surrender. Let the realization that God is good, God is Father, and God is holy without fault, and let that drive you to surrender and ask for His kingdom to break into your life. Now, we said it, I tell you all the time, what is the kingdom? It's not a place, it's not a location. The kingdom is the rule and reign of God. Wherever the rule of God is, wherever the reign of God is, is where the kingdom of God is. That's why when Jesus would heal somebody or cast out a demon, he would say the kingdom of God is at hand. What is he saying? The rule of God is here. The reign of God is here. That's why you're seeing healing. That's why you're seeing demons cast out. That's why you're seeing salvation. It's why you're seeing miracles. It's why you're seeing lives restored. It's why you're seeing addictions broken and family healed. That is wherever the rule and reign of God is, is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, pray that the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God, would be firmly established in your life, that it would be about his kingdom and not your kingdom, not my kingdom. Here's number three. Seek God's provision for your daily needs. Look at Matthew 6, 11. Give us today our daily bread. Now, there are many names for God throughout Scripture. One of them is Jehovah Jireh, which literally means the Lord who provides. The, 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 the Lord who provides. Now, in our, in our Western culture, uh, personal names are little more than labels to distinguish between one person and another. But in early culture, a person's name said something about their character, said something about the essence of who that person was. A name carried authority and it carried power and it carried special significance. And so throughout the Bible, when we're given the names of God, we're giving these little portraits, this mini snapshots of who God is and what the character of God is like, what the essence of God is like. Jehovah Jireh, give me what is needed today. So understand what Jesus is saying. He says, start off by recognizing that God is your father 
a good father. Remember that he is holy, right? Without mistake, without flaw. And then pray, let that, let that realization drive you into submission, praying for his kingdom to come and your kingdom to go. And then pray that he would meet your needs. And this is a prayer of dependence. This is a prayer of saying, God, give me what is needed for me to be who I'm supposed to be today. Give me what is needed for me to do what I need to do today. Give me what is needed regarding food and substance and, 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 and supplies or whatever that looks like. Give me what is needed today. Now, often in our culture of independence, dependence is a bad thing. Right? I'm a self-made man. I do it myself. And Scripture really pushes against that idea. Oftentimes we think, well, I provide. It's my intelligence or my creativity or my, my, my work ethic. Or maybe, maybe it's Walmart that provides. Or in an age of stimulus checks, it's the government that supplies. I haven't gotten mine yet. Yeah, still waiting. And so God can be squeezed out. And Moses actually addressed this very idea of God being pushed to the margins. When, when things are going well, he says, he says, when, when your belly is full, when, plenty, uh, when there's plenty to go around, God will be crowded out. Look at Deuteronomy 8, 17. You may say to yourself, my power and, my, and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me, which is all over the West, right? But, he says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who what gives you the he gives you the ability to produce wealth. Ultimately, what Scripture is telling us is that all comes back to him. He gives the intelligence. He gives the ability. He gives the wisdom. He gives the creativity. It, it, it all comes back to him. And so to pray, God, give me what is needed today in that meeting, in that presentation, on this test that hopefully I studied for, whatever it means, God, give me what is needed today to make it through and to make it through well. He goes on to say this. Look at this one. Seek God's forgiveness for your sins. Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts. Now, as much as I wish Jesus was talking about our Visa and MasterCard, it's not the debt he's talking about. He's talking about an eternal debt. And Jesus, uh, his prayer reflects this Jewish idea, this concept that all of our lives are on loan from God. And every time we act in a way that violates the creator's principle, it puts us in debt to God. It was a very common way of thinking. So uh, the moral and spiritual debt is being incurred because of our sin, because we violate the creator's principles, right? It's our actions and our inactions. It is both. The beauty of what Jesus is saying here is that whether it's action or inaction, that forgiveness is always right where you fell. That, that your debt can be canceled. Your debt can be taken care of. It can be removed from the books. Now, this is the same thing that John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, what is God? He is faithful. And not only faithful, but he is just and he will forgive us our sins and do what? Purify us from all of our ungodliness. He'll take away all of the debt. He'll take away all of the sin, all of our transgressions. This, this, this is a beautiful statement. 
If we would only confess, if we would do our part, God will do his part and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No stipulations, uh, no limitations, and no qualifications. It's, a, it's an invitation open to everyone. If only you will do your part, and that is to take the gift of repentance. So what is it that puts you in debt to God today? Forgiveness is right where you fell. And you can take the opportunity today to repent, is what Scripture says, to turn the other way. That's what the cross is all about. That's what forgiveness is all about, and it's available to all of us today. Now, admittedly, we love this part of Jesus' prayer, right? Because we all need forgiveness, because we're all stained. But then Jesus links another part to this prayer, which gets a little bit more challenging. Look what he says. Forgive us our debts. We're like, woohoo, yeah. As we also have forgiven, oh, this gets harder. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Catch that. As we have forgiven. Notice it doesn't say as we, as we promise to forgive our debtors. It doesn't say uh, uh, as someday I'm going to forgive my debtors or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to forgive my debtors. I'm going to think about forgiving those who have sinned against me. I'm going to pray really hard about those who have sinned against me. I'm going to forgive those who are worthy to be forgiven. No, 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 no. Scripture says no. Jesus says no. He says, look, if you're going to pray and if you're going to believe for your sins to be forgiven, your debt to be cleansed, then you must also forgive those who have sinned against you. And boy, it's almost like Jesus lured us in, right? Forgive us our debts. Oh, yes, as you have forgiven those who have debts against you. It's like he lured us in, and by the time we realized it, we were in too deep. And, but there's, there's, beauty, there's, there's beauty in this. It's past tense. Here, here's what it means, literally. Listen. It means that we are asking God to treat our sins the same way we have treated those who have sinned against us. I know, take a breath. It's heavy. We are asking God to treat our sins in the same way we have treated those who have sinned against us. And that is challenging to me. Now, I know many of us, we have a hard time with this idea of forgiveness. And sometimes it's because we don't fully understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. So let me just touch on this. This isn't a teaching on forgiveness, but I want to leave a few things for you to, to consider. Forgiveness is not saying what the person did to you is okay. Forgiveness is not minimizing what the person did to you. Forgiveness is not acting like it never happened. Forgiveness is not giving the person permission to do it again. And in many cases, forgiveness might not even be the reconciliation of a relationship. I hope you're you're listening. Forgiveness is releasing the offense in a way to say, that I'm not the judge. Forgiveness is releasing the person in a way of saying that, God, I believe that you will bring justice in the end. And because I'm not the judge, I will not hang on to this. Because you've heard the saying that that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. When in reality, all it is is affecting ourselves. It's killing uh, ourselves. And so God in his wisdom says, look, look, if if you want to be whole, 
If, if you want to be the you that I've created you to be, if you want to be juiced, you're going to have to learn to forgive because unforgiveness will rob you of juice, will rob you of power. It's just the way God created us. And so God said, for your own well-being, forgive those who have sinned against you. And listen, forgiveness is always a choice. It starts with a choice of saying, I choose to not be their judge. I choose to forgive. Today's a good day to begin to wrestle with that. I'm not minimizing your circumstances. I'm I'm not trying to wash over them at all. Some of you, you have experienced horrific things. Today's a good day to begin to wrestle with what does it look like to release that person so they are no longer controlling your future? What does it look like to forgive? Here's my last thought. Is seek, seek God's power over temptation, Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, let's make sure we do not use this prayer as a safety net. Lead us not into temptation. What I mean by, let's make sure that we don't put ourselves in the way of temptation. Let's make sure that we're not putting ourselves in environments that are unhealthy and then kind of using this prayer of God, uh, don't lead me into uh, temptation. In other words, what we're saying is, God, let me get as close as I can to the sin, but don't let it consume me. I've prayed that prayer before. Uh, let me get as close as I can, but, but don't let me be consumed. Don't let it overwhelm me. Let's not use this as a scapegoat. Let's not use this as, as the ejection seat that, that, that any time we can just say, God, lead me not into temptation while we're putting ourselves in temptation. Do, do, do you see it? This can't be this idea of, of I'm going to live however I want, but I'm going to say this prayer once a day and think that God's going to magically do something. I've told you before that, that, that even praying won't overcome a bad lifestyle and bad decisions. It just doesn't happen like that. But there is something powerful in this statement if we will uh, uh, digest it in the way that it was meant to be given to us. The imagery of that last part on this idea of deliver us uh, is, is a, a beautiful uh, word, the, uh, the, the ruama, which means to draw unto oneself. And so really what it's saying is, God, do not lead me into t- t- temptation, but deliver me. In other words, draw me to you. When I'm tempted and, and, and when the pressure is on and when I'm thinking about clicking on it or thinking about saying it or thinking about doing it or thinking about cheating or thinking about lying or whatever the temptation is, God, would you instead, would you draw me to yourself? Would you give me proper perspective of what really matters? Would you make yourself known in the midst of that temptation that I could look to you and say, that's really what I want? God, would you lead me not into temptation, but would you draw me to yourself and away from the evil one? Would you draw me to yourself and away from that which only harms me? Would you consume my mind with thoughts of you? Would you consume me with your presence? Would you draw me to yourself? Remember, Jesus says, this is how you pray. This is what he's teaching us. Now, it's not that we just recite this verbatim 
right? We unpack each section, I hope, is, is what you're getting. Uh, I'll, I'll break that down right before we go, but, but let, me, let me start, let me end where we began, 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, invite God in, invite God into the process, invite God into your life, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hey, can you start to pray? Can you make that a part of your cord activities? Don't give up three days from now. Don't give up five days from now. Keep at it. Trust the process. Trust the power flow. Let's end with Matthew. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is worship. Your kingdom come and your will be done. This is submission. Give us today our daily bread. This is a prayer of provision. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer of forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A prayer of deliverance. And you can break each of these sections down. Maybe one day you're just going to pray one or two of those sections. That's okay. Just don't slam through it and think I've done my time of prayer. Allow some time for God to speak to you. Allow time for the Holy Spirit to, to speak and to encourage and to minister through the prayer that Jesus taught us. Church, I want you to be juiced. I want you to be fully alive. I want you to be empowered. And we're not living in a standby uh, mode anymore. Life is requiring more energy, more power from us, and that means we must be continually connected to the true power source. That means we need to work the cord. Scripture, prayer, and worship. Pray with me as we close. Lord, today I know there's going to be many uh, today and this week who are going to begin their activity of prayer. And I pray that you will meet us in that activity. I pray that we will sense your presence. I pray that we would sense the voice of God and the leading of God and the comfort of God and the correction of God, if that's what is needed. We want all that you have for us. And so come and give us the grace as we set out on this idea of prayer, to pray continually, to invite you in to our circumstances. Lord, stir us in our scripture reading, in our meditation, and in, in, in uh, our Bible study. Stir us in the area of prayer and communication. Allow your power to flow in us, to give us what is needed, what is needed to get us on, what is needed to push us over, what is needed to get us through is what we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. God bless you, Reveal. We will be together soon. I promise you that. God bless you. And I'm back. I do have an update for you on when we will be reopening. I didn't want to give you this in the beginning because then you wouldn't have paid attention to the message. So for those of you that are still around, you get the bonus feature and a little bit of extra information. So uh, currently we have tentatively planned on opening Sunday, June 14th. 
uh, is our uh, current target date. Now, I realize that some churches may be opening earlier than that. Some may be opening later than that. This is what we have targeted. I hope you can have the uh, patience to stick with us through that. There is a lot of effort going into uh, getting that up and running. Uh, Part of what that means is that we are looking to add an additional service to kind of reduce the congestion uh, in our lobby and in the sanctuary. One of the things we'll be doing in the sanctuary is we will be removing every other row uh, to kind of give a little bit of space. And then uh, to accommodate that, we'll add an additional service. Not sure what to expect, who will come back, if people will come back right away, if people will kind of stagger back in. Not entirely sure. But we are looking at doing three services. Right now, we're looking at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. And you're going to hear a lot more about that because that means all of our service times are changing. 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. I will get you a lot more information to come on that very soon. But just kind of plan on June 14th. Support us in that. Please don't bicker about it. If you're like, well, I wanted to be there next week. Well, we'll get us, we'll get us going as soon as we can and as soon as we feel like this is a good idea for staff and for our entire church and for our community. But I do look forward to seeing you. I look forward to being with you face to face on June 14th. Do not wear your pajamas. God bless.